Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at chapter number 8. So I hope you're there in the Bible. And what we're doing from the weeks leading all the way into Easter, we're just gleaning through John's photo gallery. Okay? Uh, John has taken some beautiful snapshots, some portraits of our Lord, and he's unpacked them and put them on display in a story for us. And we can see some wonderful pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week I talked about Jesus the great physician. Today I want to talk about Jesus the sympathetic savior. Okay? And we're going to see that snapshot and that portrait in John chapter number 8. Before I get started, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. And then let's ask God to, to bless the reading of his word and, and to speak to our hearts today. Father, God, we thank you so much for your love for us. And thank you, Lord, for our church family. And thank you for the word of God. And and Lord, I just pray you speak to our hearts now. And Lord, if there's someone here that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, my prayer is today that they would come to know you. They would open their heart's door. They would repent of their sins and, and ask for forgiveness and, and, and look to you as their Lord and their Savior. And, and my prayer is today that someone would accept you as their, their Savior today. My prayer is also that maybe there's someone here that just needs to rededicate, re, recommit, and and have a renewal or refreshing of their relationship with you. And Father, I ask your blessings on the reading, the preaching, the study of your word today. May your word settle in our heart. May you do a work, God, that only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I read the story sometime back of a farmer that's out in the country, and, and he, raised, um, he raised beautiful dogs. And he was one day had freshly painted a sign and was nailing it to his fence post. And the sign said, puppies for sale. And as he was driving the last nail in the sign and hanging it to his fence post, uh, a small boy came up to him and he felt a tug on his pants leg. And he looked down and there was this boy. This boy looked up to the farmer and he said, sir, he said, are you selling those puppies? And the farmer looked at him. He said, Yes, I'm selling these puppies. He said, I sure would like to have one of those puppies. And the farmer said, well, son, these are, these are premium dogs. They're, they're very expensive dogs. And I really don't think you can afford one of these puppies. The young boy looked at the farmer, and he was a little bit disappointed, as you could imagine. And he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out 39 cents. And he said, sir, I have 39 cents can I give you this 39 cents just to go in and pet the puppies and look at them for a while? The farmer said, sure, you can go in and play with the puppies. And so as he said that, he let out a big whistle. And Patty, I wish I could do that. And I've always, I've always coveted your ability to, to whistle like you do. And he let out a huge whistle. And all of a sudden, Dolly, the mother, came out, dog came out, and out of the doghouse and the kennel there. And 
And out behind her came four little white balls of fur, just jumping around everywhere and running right behind her. And, and they're all coming, and, and they jump on the little boy. And then all of a sudden, the little boy lifts his eyes and looks at the kennel, and there's another little puppy that's coming out. It's not jumping around and playing like the other four were. It's walking very slowly, trying to get to the other puppies and to his mother. And the little boy looks up and he says, oh, he said, I want that dog. And the farmer said, son, you don't want that dog. That dog is but a runt. That dog can never be able to run and play. That dog is really a reject. And the mother has already disowned him. I'm not sure that I can even keep him alive. That dog will probably never make it. And he certainly won't bring you any joy because he can't run and play with you. About that time, the little boy started pulling up his pants leg. And he pulls it all the way up. And the little boy is wearing a brace. And on each side of his leg, there was a steel brace going down. He said, sir, he said, what you don't understand is I can't run and jump and play. And what that puppy needs is somebody that understands. And the farmer said, I'm going to give you that puppy. And the little boy takes that puppy away and is so happy because he understands the situation that that puppy is in. And he takes him and nurtures, nurtures him, nurtures him and loves him and, and has this wonderful gift. I think that's a beautiful picture of me and of you. You see, we are sinners in need of a Savior. We are as wounded, we are as crippled by sin as that little runt puppy was running out of the kennel that day. But the beautiful thing is we don't really have a small boy willing to pay 39 cents for us and take us home. We have a Savior that understands, that didn't pay just 39 cents, but gave his life so that we could learn how to run and jump and play, so that we could receive his healing for our sin-sick souls, as I spoke about last week. I believe in John chapter 8, we have a beautiful picture of a sympathetic Savior of the Lord Jesus Christ when this sinful lady was thrown, humiliated, down in front of him for him to cast judgment on her. I think on the inside, his heart was breaking and he showed sympathy towards this lady. We pick up reading in John chapter number 8. I'd like for you to look, if you will, in verse number 1. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. I want you to pay attention to the first two words of verse number two. It says, at dawn. At dawn. At daybreak. Notice this story takes place early in the morning. Okay? I think that's important for where we're going in this story. At dawn, he went to the temple complex again. And all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. At that time, or then, in verse number 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery 
making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law of Moses, or in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And they ask this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. And Jesus stooped down and started riding on the ground with his finger. And when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. And only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin any more. I want you to think about this story as we look at this snapshot of a, of a sympathetic Savior. I want you to remember it's early in the morning, right? We see that in verse number 2, early in the morning. He's outside the temple complex. And then it says all the people gathered around. Now there's a huge crowd that's following Jesus at this time. They are hungry for his teaching. They are hungry for what he has to say and the ministry that he's doing at this time. So there's a large crowd that is following after him. It's early in the morning. He goes and he sits down and he starts teaching and preaching and sharing with the people. Then all of a sudden you see that the Pharisees come and they cast this woman caught in the very act of adultery at his feet. They throw her there with no compassion, with no love, in a very judgmental, arrogant, legalistic, holier-than-thou spirit. They throw this lady that's in sin at the Savior's feet, wondering what he would do. Now the whole thing, as the scripture says, was a way that they could trap him so that they could accuse him so that they eventually could stone him and do away with him. I think there are three elements in the story that I want us to see as we look at this very briefly. And I realize most of my time is gone today. So I'm just going to try to cut this down a little bit and be as brief as I can. But I want to try to paint this picture for you of our sympathetic Savior here dealing with this situation. The first thing that we see is this sinful woman. Okay? We see this lady that is caught in adultery. Her sin... She's caught in adultery. As a matter of fact, she's been out sleeping around and she was caught in the very act of adultery. That's her sin. But may I go out on a limb and say that as vile as the sin of adultery is, it's really no worse than any other sin? You see, I think a lot of times we as individuals, we categorize sins. And we think, oh, those are bad sins. These are kind of medium sins, and, and these are just little white lies, just little small things. And, and really, we joke and laugh about these little sins. But guys, you realize in our Lord's view of things, sin is sin. And the little sins, as well as the medium sins that we may categorize, or the large sins that we may categorize, all of those are what nailed him to the cross. And if all we have is a life that's filled with just the little sins... We still can't get to heaven that way, right? We still need a Savior. 
So here you have this lady, and we see her sin that she's caught in. And every single one of us really can identify with this lady because we are all born into sin. The Bible says that as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not one of us are righteous. Isaiah says that all of our righteousness and all of our good works and everything that we're trying to do to turn over a new leaf and to prove to God that we deserve to go to heaven and that we don't have to go to hell. The Bible says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. I mean, there's nothing we can do to appease a holy God outside of accepting His Son Jesus as our Savior. In Romans 3 and 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we are all, every single one of us, are as guilty as this woman that is thrust and thrown in front of our Savior. But not only do we see her sin, we also see her shame. I mean, think about this, if you will. It's early in the morning. If you, now, if you think about it and you put some thought into this story, you're going to realize that Maybe, maybe she was set up. If she wasn't set up, at least these scrubs and these Pharisees knew what type of activity she was involved in. So I want you to get a picture in your mind of these scribes and these Pharisees camped outside the house of this woman where they knew that she was going to commit adultery and they're peeking in the windows hoping they can catch her in sin. I mean... Listen, she didn't do this on the main square. She wasn't doing this out in public, right? She was doing it in secret. And here we find these Pharisees and these scribes, these religious rulers of the day, they were searching for her and waiting for her. No doubt they're like, here she comes. Here she comes. We know where she's going. Matter of fact, there they are together now. There they are. The scripture tells us that she was caught in the very act now think about the act that's taking place. She's lying there in bed. They rush into the house. They throw the covers off. They grab this woman. She's trying to get probably some type of covering on her so that she's not thrust out into, into the streets. Very immodest. But they didn't give her time for that. They could care less about this lady. All they cared about was capturing Jesus in some type of a scheme so they could accuse him and get rid of him forever. That's all they were concerned about. So here you got to understand, this lady certainly had to be very ashamed. And here she is drugged out early in the morning at dawn, it says in verse 2. All the people had gathered there and she was thrust in front of our Lord. Boy, if we could just read the scriptures and try to read deeper into them and visualize what's taking place, it would have so much of a profound impact on our lives. What would we think today if someone opened the back doors of our church and drugged someone down the aisle? Right now, while we're in the midst of the teaching of the word of God and throws someone at us. That would be very shameful for the person standing in front of us all, would it not? So this lady certainly had sin, and I'm not minimizing her sin, but she certainly as well was a public humiliation. She was ashamed. But then we see her sentence. What was her sentence? The Pharisees and the scribes are telling us in verse number 4, Teacher, they said to him, 
This woman was caught in the act of committing adultery and in the law of Moses in verse 5 commanded us to stone such women. What was the sentence? The sentence for her sin was death. That she was to be stoned. Now, by the way, on a sidebar, that's the sentence for every single one of us for the wages of sin. Romans 6, 23, you know it. For the wages of sin, say it for me, is death. Look to your neighbor and say the wages of sin is death. Go ahead. We, we all know that. We understand that. The wages of sin is death. Her sentence, according to the law of Moses, was that she be stoned. But I want you to understand, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders here of the day, they even broke their own law. Because the Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10, it also tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 22, that when individuals are caught in the act of adultery, that you just don't bring the lady. You bring the lady and the man. You bring both that are caught in the act of adultery, and both are to be stoned. Now, I don't know about you, but I think the divorce rate in America would go to an all-time low if we started dragging out everybody that was caught in the act of adultery and stoning them. Would you agree? Man, you'd be afraid to even look at it. We wear blinders all the time. I just, but aren't you thankful we don't live in the Old Testament law? Aren't you thankful we don't live under law today? The law of the Old Testament? I'm thankful I don't. Are you not thankful? Hey, we live under grace today, right? Now, I'm not saying we, we minimize sin. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying now the penalty for our sin now because we're under grace does no longer have to be death. The penalty for our sin now can be grace and mercy and forgiveness at the feet of a holy God. We can receive that from the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be forgiven and live eternally with him. Right? But the sentence for this lady certainly was death. Let's look at the critics we see this sinful woman. Let's real quickly look at the scheming critics, and I won't be long here because I've already alluded to it somewhat. First of all, we see their plan. What was their plan? Their plan was to capture Jesus. It says in verse 6, they ask this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Okay? Their plan was really, had nothing to do with this woman. Really, they, could, they could have cared less about this woman. The plan was to trap Jesus in his teaching. And the plan was to be able to accuse him and drag him out and stone him. That was the plan. The plan was to create an uprising in the area, which would then lead to him being cast out, rejected, possibly even stoned. But Jesus was so much wiser than their plans. Hello? That was their plan. What was their problem? It says in verse number 6, if you will, look there. They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Look at the latter part of verse 6. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. You know what he did? You know what the problem was for these critics? Jesus ignored them. I mean, they asked him, teacher... Here's a lady calling the very act of adultery. It says in the law, she's to be stoned. What do you say? 
Jesus didn't even respond. Do you realize that? He just stooped down and started writing with his finger in the sand. So here we see that they were ignored. Now, down through the years, people have always speculated, what did Jesus write? Because whatever he wrote eventually led them, from the oldest to the youngest, walking away from the scene. So what did he write? I have no idea what he wrote. The Bible nowhere tells us what he wrote. However, I've always tried to speculate, think, possibly, what could he have written that day? Well, maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments, which really convicts everyone of sin and lets all of us know that we all break the law and there's none that uphold any part of the law completely. Maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments. I don't know. Maybe he wrote their names. You say, well, why would he write their names? Listen to what Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 13 says. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed. And they that depart from me shall be written in the earth. Because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Possibly, I don't know. But maybe what Jesus was writing in the sand were their names in fulfillment of Jeremiah 17, 13. I don't know. Just a thought. These are some of the questions that we'll ask our Lord when we get to heaven with him. Maybe he wrote out the law itself in Leviticus 20 in verse 10 and Deuteronomy 22 in verse 22. Where it says in both of those passages of scripture that anyone caught in the act of adultery, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. The man and the woman both must be accused and stoned. Maybe he wrote that. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he wrote something else. This is where my humor kicks in. Maybe he wrote down the names of their girlfriends. <laughs> Maybe he wrote down what they were doing in private. I don't know. He's omniscient. He's a holy God. But whatever he wrote calls them to duck their head, which leads to their exposure, and they walked away. Now, let's look real quickly, and I could expound more on all of these, but I'm trying to get through this. I want you to look real quickly with me in the last part in verses 9b through 11. And here I want you to see a snapshot of our Savior. When this lady is thrown before him, caught in the very act of adultery, the critics are there scheming to plot against Jesus to entrap him so they can reject him. Let's look now at our Lord. Let's see what his reaction was when this lady was thrown at his seat. You know, the first thing that he did, he, he faced her. As she was thrown at his feet, look what it says in the latter part of verse number 9. It says when they heard, or just in verse 9, it says when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men, and only he was left with the woman in the center. And in verse 10, when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And here I believe we see our Lord looking into the eyes of this woman. Here we see a picture that John is painting for us in words of a sympathetic Savior that's filled with grace and mercy and love and kindness towards this lady that evidently is lost 
and unsaved and not a follower of Christ and living in sin. And, and what he does, he, he looks at her. He stood before this lady and looked at her. Now you've got to understand, when she was looking at Jesus, she was looking at the ultimate judge of her life. I mean, he could have condemned her to die right there. He could have said, yes, they didn't do it correctly, but you're going to die because of your sin. But of course, we know he didn't do that. But I want you to see where he faced her. And guys, I, want, I just want to say this. Sometimes, and I, I remember how I was when, when I wasn't living right for the Lord back years ago. Man, the last thing I wanted to do was see Jesus or to get in a conversation with God because I knew that I was not living right. I had this great fear of God even knowing, so I always tried to hide everything, not realizing that God sees everything. Here's what I want you to know. God proved his love for you on the cross. He knows that you and I both are sinners. And I want you to know that you can look him in the face through faith and receive forgiveness from him for whatever sin and activity that you may have been involved in. And that's the second thing. Not only did he face her, but he forgave her. I love verse number 11. He asked her in verse 10, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you. Now go from now on and do not sin anymore. This lady had an RTL. She became a radically transformed life. Her life changed that day when she looked into the face of a sympathetic Savior filled with grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And she received all of that from him. When she looked at him, he looked at her, and she was forgiven of her sin. Now, guys, you realize that's where we all need to get in life, right? Not trying to turn over a new leaf. Not trying to do better in our own merit, in our own strength. None of us can do good enough to get to heaven that way. We've got to stand before our judge, as this lady did. Look into his eyes as he looks into ours. And allow his grace and mercy and love and forgiveness to be poured upon us. And we seek his forgiveness. We repent of our sins. Notice, Jesus didn't say, go back to your old way of living. Everything's, everything's okay. He said, look what he said in verse number 11. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. That's repentance. That's turning away from the old lifestyle. That's turning away from the old way of living. I'm not going to do it. Listen, I'm walking in a new direction. I have accepted Christ as my personal Savior. Behold, all things are passed away. All things become new. I am a new believer in Jesus Christ. This lady had a new Lord and she had a new life in the person of Jesus Christ living now in her. And that's where we need to get. But before I close, will you allow me to venture off this trail just for a little bit? Briefly, and I want to try to hit this last point and then I'm going to be done. In verse number 11, or in verse 10, Jesus asked her, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she says in verse 11. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on do not sin anymore. Guys, do you realize the attitude that our Lord had towards this lady caught in the very act 
of adultery and sin is the same attitude that we should have towards those that are caught in the act of sin or living a lifestyle of sin or even a brother or sister in Christ that has fallen and stumbled into a lifestyle of sin. The worst thing that any of us could ever do would be to condemn them, to judge them, to falsely or accuse them. and you know, That's the worst thing we could do. We must learn... And by the way, it takes spiritual growth to get to this place because it's real easy to sit back and throw darts and say, look at everybody else's life. I'm doing it right. Look at you, 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 look at you. That's easy. Hello? Spiritual maturity comes when you look past that, when you grow in grace, you grow in the knowledge of the Word of God, and you start having the attitude of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we look on sin with a different perspective. Not that we're condoning sin. Please don't ever think that we condone sin. We do not. Jesus did not condone sin. But we must learn to look at sin the way Jesus did and realize that what people need are not us to condemn them, but for us to offer forgiveness towards them, to point them to Jesus, to give grace towards them, mercy towards them, so we can lead them to our sympathetic Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, are we commanded to do that anywhere in Scripture? Are we? I'm glad you ask. That's a great question. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. I want you to look here real quick. I promise you I'm, I'm going to be done as soon as I nail down this point. Galatians chapter 6. Now, now, Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia. And you've got to remember, the churches of Galatia, it wasn't a church building like we had, and it was the you know, um, Galatian Community Church of O'Fallon. That wasn't really what it was. They, they were house churches. Okay, they, they met. There were believers that met in different homes and different houses throughout the region of Galatia. And Paul wrote a letter to them. Now, in this letter that he wrote to them, he only wrote one letter, and they would read the letter, and they would expound on it among this house church, and they would pass it on to the next. And, and they kind of circulated throughout the house churches. So Paul is writing here to who? Christians. Okay? He's writing to believers. This is not, this is not the gospel of John, if you will, where the whole intent really is written for unbelievers, for those that do not know Christ, and showing them how they can come to Christ. The book of Galatians written to those that have already accepted Christ as their Savior. Okay? I just want you to see that. Now look what it says in chapter 6 and verse number 1. It says, brothers. Who? Who did it say? Brothers. Who's that? That's born in believers. That's us. Okay? Those who have accepted Christ. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing. Get this now. You who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. Now think about this. How do we do that? We do that with the attitude of our Lord. When he stood before this lady, he stood before her with grace and mercy and offered forgiveness. That's the same thing. Look what it says in verse number, or chapter 6, verse 1. It says, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing. Listen, if a believer now. No, it's not talking about those that haven't accepted Christ. It's talking about believers. If believers now, if brothers and sisters in Christ, if someone has been overtaken in some wrongdoing, they've stumbled, they've fallen into some type of sin, what is to be our response? The Bible says, you that are spiritual. Now, how do you classify that? 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggled with that. Am I spiritual? Am I not spiritual? Maybe I'm spiritual today. I don't know that I'm spiritual tomorrow. I don't feel spiritual today, so that's not my job today. I mean, have you, have you battled with that? I mean, I have in my own life. You that are spiritual, I know what you're thinking. You that are spiritual, preacher, it's your job. Go deal with them. Right? I don't think that's even what it's talking about. Because I'll be honest with you, there's days when I'm not spiritual. I mean, really, we're human, right? Paul said, I die daily. I crucified the flesh daily. Paul was saying the flesh rises up every single day. I mean, mine rises up. And when it's rising up, I promise you, I'm not spiritual. Now, I get convicted by God, and i got to crucify it, right? But sometimes I don't get convicted until 5 in the evening. So that means I spent that whole day <laughs> not being spiritual, so how do we classify someone who is spiritual? I believe someone who is spiritual is someone who is walking in the Spirit, someone who is filled with the Spirit, someone who manifests the fruit of the Spirit. Well, what's the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is found in, in chapter 5 and verse 22 of Galatians. Just look up the page a few verses. What are the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit, it says in verse 22, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faith, and gentleness, and self-control. You, you may think, well, that's, I'm going to leave here today and try to do that. You can't do that by yourself. That is the fruit. That's the evidence of someone that is walking in the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but there are days in my life when I don't love like I should love. There's days in my life when I'm not as joyful as I should be. There's days in my life when I'm not even at peace with myself. And if you know me at all, there's days in my life when I'm not real patient. <laughs> These are fruits of the Spirit. And as we are walking in Christ, being filled with the Spirit of God, and by the way, we had this discussion in our small group study, how do you get filled? How, how are you filled with the Spirit? The moment you accept Christ as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. Now, I'll be honest with you. When you prayed the sinner's prayer and you repented and you asked for God's forgiveness, His Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart and you've got all of the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to get. I've heard people say, oh, let's just pray I get more of the Holy Spirit. You got it when you received Him as your Savior. The problem is He doesn't have all of you. Right? Right? It's not that you don't have enough of God. It's not that you don't have enough of the Holy Spirit. The problem is He does not have enough of you. You have not surrendered enough of your life to Him. So to be filled with the Spirit is to live in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He makes the decisions in my life. I surrender, I submit every area of my life to the Lordship of Jesus. And as I do that on a daily basis, I am filled with the Spirit so this is what we all should be. We should be walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. You that are spiritual. Now it's not talking about a self-righteous, holier than thou, a person filled with, with, with judgmental spirit and saying, look at me, do what I do. You know, I don't know. That kind of stuff turns me off that quick. Have you, You've seen it. You know what is, someone is spiritual is? You remember... Back in Exodus chapter 34, the story is when Moses was on the mountain with God and he was getting the Ten Commandments from the Lord. And God had penned and written those things. And he came down the mountain 
you remember how the people were scared of Moses? Because radiating from his face was the glory of God. And how they had to put a veil. Moses didn't even know that. I mean, he'd just been with God. And he just came down to see his people. And now they were somewhat fearful of him because they could see God all over him. But Moses was unaware of that. That's what it means to be spiritual. You just, people can just tell you've been with Jesus. People can just tell you're walking hand in hand with God. Matter of fact, my wife and I were in Edwardsville a few nights ago, and, and, and we wanted to go to Pills Pizza and Eat. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a great pizza place in Edwardsville. And so we went on a little date night, and we went over there to eat, and we're in there waiting, and we're waiting to get served, and we're just sitting down there. And down beside us sat this couple. Now, this couple, as soon as they sat down, started talking to us. I mean, nonstop. And this guy was so pleasant. I mean, it's like you wanted to talk. I didn't want to. I wanted to talk to my wife. That's all I wanted to talk to that night. But after he sat there, well, I wanted to talk with him. Now, my man, I like this guy. And then he started talking about his faith. He started talking about his church. He started talking about what God had done in their life. He's a contractor. He's a home builder. Built a lot of houses in Mascuda. Built houses in Edwardsville and Troy. I mean, a, a godly man. And a matter of fact, I almost, I was on a date with my wife, but I almost wanted to invite him and his wife to sit with us. I didn't because I was on a date with my wife. We got, went to our table and sat down, and Debbie said to me, she said, I knew he was a believer. Before he even told us, I knew he was a Christian. Well, how do we know that? He was spiritual. Not that he just talked spiritual, but his countenance. He was just at peace. He had joy, love. I mean, he's asking us questions about our family. And, of course, me being sometimes the, I don't know, the protector that I am, I think, I don't know if I'm going to answer that or not. What are you trying to find out about me? You know? You don't need to know that. You want to know where we lived and about our kids? And I'm like, I don't even know you. But he was a pleasant guy. I believe he was a spiritual guy. Guys, the point I'm trying to make is this is the spirit that our Lord had in John chapter 8. And I believe the takeaway from this message is twofold. For those that are already believers in Christ Jesus, we need to live in John 8 and Galatians 1. And we need to take on that mindset of Christ and help restore our brothers and sisters that may have fallen into sin, but not in a judgmental, condemning way, in a way of of compassion and love and grace and leading them to cross to the cross and, and letting them know they can find forgiveness there and, 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 and we're not judging. We're just, man, I just love you. I want to see you restored, right? But then the second takeaway is this. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you, you may be finding yourself in the situation of this lady being cast at his feet, condemned by everyone else, knowing that you're living in sin and the shame that you may feel. Let me tell you, you don't, walk, you don't have to walk out of here today living in shame any longer. All you got to do is bring it to the cross and ask Christ to forgive you. And you'll receive his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. And you can walk out of here with a brand new life and a brand new Lord for your life and a brand new believer in Jesus Christ. I think John paints us a wonderful picture of this sympathetic Savior. And my question is, the band is coming. Will you bring your life to Jesus and let him make it over? You, you can't make it over yourself. You can't do that. There's no way you can do that yourself.
You must bring your broken life to Jesus and let him make it over. Let me pray. Father, pray with me if you will, please. Father, God, we thank you for this time to be able to make a decision for you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that you set when this lady was caught in the very act of adultery. You didn't even look for a stone to pick up. That never entered your mind. And no doubt all around her were individuals holding rocks in their hands ready to stone this lady for her sin. Father, my prayer is several different ways. First of all, if we're any of us are here today holding rocks in our hands, ready to cast it towards individuals in a very judgmental, self-righteous spirit, convict us today and help us to drop our rocks. Help us to repent. Help us to cast the rocks out of our life so we're not throwing it at people who don't deserve it. Father, if we're believers here and we know a brother or sister that's fallen into sin, help us to have the attitude and the mindset of Christ to be able to go to them with the fruit of the Spirit and restore such a one in the spirit of meekness considering our own self that could very easily be me that has stumbled and fallen in sin and God if there's one here today that has just not trusted you as their savior my prayer is that today right now will be the time when they would realize that they've sinned and that our sins separate us from you but help them also to realize that, Jesus, you love them so much that you died for their sins. You were crucified on the cross and you were buried in a tomb and you rose victoriously the third day and now you're seated by the right hand of God the Father making intercession for each and every one of us. Father, for that individual that needs to accept you as their Savior today, I pray right now that they would repeat a prayer after me and mean it very sincerely and pray it by faith right now where they're sitting, right now. Pray a prayer like this. Say, Dear God, it's me. It's me. I'm the one that has sinned today. I'm like this lady. I've, I've come into your presence and I've been thrown at your feet. And I pray, God, you forgive me. Forgive me, God, of my sins. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you lived a sinless life. I believe you died on the cross. You were buried. You rose again. And right now, I want to receive your forgiveness as you gave it to this lady that was caught in the very act of adultery. God, I pray you'd forgive me right now. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray.
Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.